Martin Luther said, the book of the Psalter, the Psalms, are like the little Bible. And what he meant is that all of the beautiful truths about God are packed into one book. Has the unrivaled authority of God in this book. His powerful judgment in this book. His scandalous grace. 150 hymns that beckon us into a deeper life with Jesus. If you'd like to learn how to pray, you can pray through the Psalms. If you'd like to learn how to memorize scripture, memorize a psalm. And if you'd like to learn how to lead yourself spiritually, how to, how to take your real soul into the presence of a real God who has really revealed himself in real human words, turn to the Psalms. And so our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 103. Please stand together for a reading of God's holy word. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. What a promise for a week like this. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great his love is for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. Its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and all his kingdom rules over all things. Praise the Lord, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you, his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, you have not left us in the dark about who you are, but you have spoken. So, Lord, would your word... Open our eyes and open our hearts to see how delightful you are. Would we enjoy you? Would we praise you? Would our our hearts and our souls be stirred to worship you? Only you can do that in us, Lord. So we ask that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if, uh, if you go back in your memory bank and you remember the movie Inception... Then you remember Leonardo DiCaprio's character as a con man who would sneak into the dreams of executives and steal their corporate secrets. But he developed a problem. problem. 
He spent so much time coming and going between dream worlds and reality that he would lose his bearings. He, he couldn't tell the difference between what was truth and what was imaginary. He couldn't tell when he was awake or when he was only dreaming. And every time he lost his bearings, he would simply reach into his pocket and he would pull out this small wooden object they called a totem. And a totem was something that only you knew the exact weight and feel of, and by examining it, you could regain your bearings. You could tell the difference between what was true and what was imaginary. My question this morning is, don't we all have trouble discerning which of the thoughts in our head are true and which of the thoughts are ones that we've come up with? Don't we all have trouble knowing what's really going on in our lives? When you were in middle or high school, I would guess that you probably got this idea in your head that somehow your value was dependent on the way that you appeared towards outsiders. God never said that. We came up with that. Or when you're in the throes of your career, it's tempting to believe that somehow your family is worth sacrificing so that you could have the professional reputation that you want. That's not true. Or when you're lonely, it's really easy to believe that there is no one who cares about you. Well, in his wisdom and his kindness, God gives us a totem. God gives us a book from heaven by which he tells us the truth and by which we are to tell ourselves the truth. This book, this collection of handwritten letters and autobiographical memoirs and, um, and histories are God's totem by which he tells us the truth and by which we are to tell ourselves the truth. In John 17, Jesus puts it this way. He's praying to the Father and he says, Father, would you make them holy? And would you do it by using the truth? Your words, O God, are the truth. In our passage this morning, the godliest man in Israel has lost his bearings. We all do. We all forget what is true about the Lord. The godliest man in Israel has lost his bearings and he is fighting to remember what's true about God. Look at verse 1. This is King David speaking. Praise the Lord, O my soul. He's using Berache, a uh, second person imperative. He's the king of Israel. When he tells people what to do, hey, you do this, it happens. Who is he bossing around in this passage? Nephesheth, soul of mine. King David has lost his mind and is bossing himself around. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Everybody else does what I ask, but somehow his soul doesn't do what he always asks it to do. So you have to fight to remember what's true about God. Because if you don't remind yourself of who God truly is, then, then we'll become overwhelmed by every falsehood. If you look at the first verse of the very next psalm, it has the same line. Bless the Lord, O my soul. There's a clear connection between these two psalms. That means that not just one, but two, and actually you could argue dozens of the psalms have this same principle. Speaking the truth to ourselves is something that we need to do frequently. About a century ago, there was a Welsh preacher who lived in London, and he asked this question that I think we'd be really wise to listen to. He asked, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? And he didn't mean it as a pithy little point. He didn't mean it as a little bit of wordplay. He meant... That your anxious thoughts will flood you with reasons that seem pretty compelling for fear, for sadness, for loneliness. It it will tell you that your house is never clean. Your job doesn't really matter. Everybody kind of knows you're a loser. The feeling that you have when you look at Pinterest and see what kind of cute things other people are capable of. 
you're able to convince yourself that's how everyone views you. She hasn't done any cute Pinterest thing. That's what, that's what happens if you listen to yourself. What you need is the habit of telling yourself the truth. King David fostered this habit. In Psalm 42, he asks himself, Why, oh my soul, are you downcast? He gets in his own face to remind himself what's true about God. One of the, the godliest young people I ever met was a college student with muscular dystrophy. He'd been in, his, in a wheelchair his entire life. And he would go into deep depression, deep mood, sw- mood, mood swings over his state in life, over his physical ailments, over his mental ailments, over his relationships. And he told me one day, Chip, some days you just got to wake up, drink your coffee and tell the devil to get off your back. And I think what he was saying, in other words, is you got to tell yourself the truth. Anybody who wants to live a deep life with Jesus must do this. And Psalm 103 gives us at least three truths that we must be telling ourselves. Why these three truths? These are three truths that we are all prone to forget. And the first of them is this. God has great love for you. Look at verse 2. Praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? God has unimaginably great love for you. It's unclear which phase of King David's life this psalm was written in. But you can tell by reading it, he is already a man that knows a lot of life. He is already a man that has known deep sickness and been to the brink of his own death. He's already the man that has known deep pleasures worth reminding himself of. This is a man who has known a lot of life. And that tells us that in every season of our lives, whether things are going well, whether your body is wasting away, whether someone that you love is on the brink of their death. When you fall into that same old sin again, there's a truth to remind yourself of. God has great love for you. You are loved. Look at how David reminds himself of this truth. Verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Now, when you read that, that's beautiful, right? He's slow to anger. He's abounding in in steadfast love. Where is David coming up with this stuff? As the king of Israel... David was expected to handwrite a copy of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And by that law, the Pentateuch that God had given to the kings of Israel, he was to lead the people of Israel as the God of Israel had called him to. In other words, the first five books of the Bible were books of the Bible that David had written out by hand, had his own copy of, studied it regularly, and was expected to know very well. This truth, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. David ripped that right out of Deuteronomy 34. He's plagiarizing Moses here. In other words, David is taking scripture memory, verses that he would have been expected to know, and fighting with those verses to remind himself what he knows is true about God. Fourth and fifth graders, the reason why Miss Dana and Miss Cherry tear themselves apart, sacrifice their time, prepare, come up with a billion cool games to play, is so that you would be equipped 
with a couple dozen verses, true things about God that you would be able to remind yourself of no matter what happens in your life. We want you to be able to remind yourself with with scriptural reasons that God himself has said of how much he loves you. We want you to be able to do that. Middle and high schoolers, let's get real for a second. Please do not let our fourth and fifth graders out-memorize you. David knew that. He says in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, he says, how does a young man even keep his way pure? You're probably asking yourself that regularly. You know, like you're probably spending some time right before bed praying, like, how could I even possibly have obeyed you today? How can a young man keep his way pure? I have guarded it according to your word, your word I have stored in my heart so that I might not sin against you. When the world promises their delights, the Lord has promised greater delights. If you're unable to tell them to yourself, you're not going to have much fight. Fourth and fifth graders, middle and high schoolers, when you get fired one day, adults when you get fired one day, students when you get dumped by a girlfriend or boyfriend one day, or adults when your kids laugh in your face. Some of you, I heard some laughter like that happened today. (laughs) No. You'll have to remind yourself that God has a great love for you. You need to be prepared to do that. Tell yourself the truth. God has great love for you. Truth number two. Tell yourself the truth. God has great limits for you. Verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Or is David coming up with this? Ripping it right out of Genesis 2, right? God takes the dust, puts it together, breathes into it life. That's how David knows his limitations. It's, it's tempting to think that the expectation that God has on you is similar to the expectation that you have on you. You know, that you would be a flawless parent, the perfect spouse, an incredible employee or an incredible employer. You'd make a huge difference in the town. Everybody would love you and like you and just be pumped to see you. Then there are other days where you're like, I feel like I'm dust. I feel like I'm almost dust again. The Lord's not shocked by that. I heard your laughter, David, so I'll pick on you. David one time looked at me on like a Thursday and was like, what a week. I feel like I got punched in the face again. Like, like it's weekly, right? Every week it feels like that. It's not just adults, students. Uh, Ohio State University released its findings last week. They became the newest major university to release their study on their own students that reports the same thing. There is a study drug epidemic in the United States. Somewhere between 15 and 30 percent of college students are using drugs like Ritalin or Adderall to improve their performance in life. When you ask them, why are you using Ritalin or Adderall? The two reasons they give most quickly. To improve my grades or to improve my social or interview skills. If you went to college in the 1960s, you heard that correctly. Students are taking drugs to improve their grades and their social skills. Why? It might sound surprising. But if you're around these students, if you're around this age group, you know the resume culture they're in. A 4.5 is the old is what is the new 4.0. 4.0 is not impressive. 4.5 is, you know, a summer internship where you maybe invested in younger students and got to be a camp counselor for a summer. That sounds like a fast track to ending up behind the curve. You need an internship more impressive than everybody else's. You want to have a chance to get your foot in the door. 
how, how would they know that they're created? How would they know that they were made? They're not the maker. They were made. The heart of biblical wisdom literature is that you didn't make you. You were made. Somebody else did. He knows your limitations. And yet he still has great love for us even though we have those limitations. We're just getting these students ready for the job world that we ourselves are in, right? Where your expectation is that you work through the night and into the weekend and, and never quit. And that this is the only thing going on in your life that the Lord couldn't possibly have other realms for you to be investing yourselves in. That's the expectation. We're just getting kids ready for that. It's easy to think of God like some stressed out uh, board member that just wants to catch you in the hallway and slap you in the face with your quarterly performance report. You know, who would want to spend time with a God like that? Right? Who would want to know that God? A lot of people think that's what God is like. I don't blame them for not wanting to know that God. I don't want to worship that God. I don't want to walk with that God. Our God, if you caught the assurance of pardon this morning, our God is like a God who types up your performance report, all of your shortcomings, all of your sin, all of your rebellion, and he blames the office scapegoat for it. <laughs> he, he, he takes the record of your sin and he sets it aside and nails it to the cross. Somebody's going to pay for that. But if you're in Christ, it's not you. These are the kinds of truths you've got to remind yourself of. Remind yourself of that truth. God has great limits for you, and yet he has great love for you. Truth number three. God has a great legacy for you. Verse 15. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. When I was about 17, I was driving into Columbia, Tennessee, the small town in central Tennessee that my grandfather is from. And he looked over at me. I guess I was driving probably. He looked over at me and he said, it's a weird feeling going into the town that you grew up in and everyone that you would know from it is already dead. Columbia is about the size of our town. You know everybody if you're in that town. As a 91-year-old, he said, I don't Everybody's gone. The wind blows and souls are gone. The place remembers it no more. But, verse 17... From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. His righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Here's my question. How does David know? How does David know that the Lord is going to be a good God to his children? How do we know that God will be a just and compassionate and gracious God to our children and grandchildren. That God is capable and qualified to be the God both of the children whom we've already lost and the children who will live decades after us. How do we know when we look at the world and it seems crazy that God is going to do just fine as their God? He promised it. Exodus 20, it's, it's in the second commandment. Why do you not call, carve out images of false gods? The reason you don't carve out images of false gods is because God shows his steadfast love. The Hebrew word is chesed. It's here translated as steadfast love. God shows that kind of love to the thousandth generation of those who fear him. Here's what chesed means. Chesed is the type of love 
that God, it, somebody was like, bless you. They thought I sneezed. I said, uh, Hased is the type of love that God shows and always speaks of when he speaks of his covenant towards his people. God's covenant is this. I will be your God. I'm not going to stop being your God. I'm not going to get fed up with you and stop being your God. And I'm going to make you my people if you are my people. In other words, his chesed is his commitment. God says, I will show my commitment to the children of everyone who knows me and to the grandchildren of everyone who knows me. I will be capable of being their God. My hands will not be dirty. I will be a good God to them. I'm qualified. Earlier in the psalm, when it says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his chesed, his steadfast love. Think about it this way. God's commitment towards you. How, how in this he is, how serious it's getting. Um, I guess it's not young people that do Facebook status anymore. It's older people do Facebook status. But like, how's that relationship status doing? It's so committed that he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's what my commitment's like. I will smother you in my commitment. He's, he's giving an indication he's the kind of dad that's like on the sideline of the peewee soccer game that is your life. And you might think it matters to nobody else, but there's at least one dad on the sideline that this matters to. I'll smother you in my commitment. That's what he's saying. And I'm capable of being the God of your children. This is not a biological or genealogical legacy only. If you're teaching my, if you're teaching my children's Sunday school class, and by the way, the teachers of my children's Sunday school class are doing a phenomenal job. Lottie is singing passages of scripture that I don't know around my house. You are getting a foretaste of what it looks like of God calling another generation to himself. That's his business. That's what he's up to. If you're not excited about that, you need to tell yourself the truth. That's why the world is existing right now. <laughs> so that God could show how legit he is as a God. And you get to play a role in it. It's worth, it's worth inviting somebody to your Sunday school class because of If you're unwilling to do any of these things, you may need to tell yourself the truth. That God has a great legacy for you. God has an eternal lineage for you. God is making a people for himself from every tribe and tongue and nation. So that at the end of times, the political parties and nations have agreed on very little. There are going to be a group of people who say, I believe that that God was better than everything else. Your service to Christ will not make him love you more. Because that's impossible if you're in Christ. But it will position you to get to see what he's up to in the world. And that's pretty exciting. Having reminded himself of the truth... Having reminded his soul, his forgetful soul, our forgetful souls about who God really is, he starts turning to invisible stuff. He starts bossing around angels. Look at verse 20. Praise the Lord, you his angels. Just because you invisible doesn't mean you're off the hook. You mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his words. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. God, the angels, do his bidding. His hosts do show how glorious he is. Every flower shows the complexity of God. Every tree shows his power. We're the ones that are forgetful. We're the ones who have souls that need reminding. And so for now, let's tell ourselves the truth. Let's do it together as a community by reading together the verse of the week. A great one to memorize. Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth... So great is his love for those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 